Good morning, you guys. I'm glad to be here with you guys. So this morning, as we were praying together as leaders, um, Angela prayed you know, for the message in this time that we have. And she just prayed that this message would be for you and um, that we would all be ready to hear what the Lord would have to say to us this morning. And I just thought it was such sweet confirmation to me. That's what I've been praying all week is that the Lord would just reveal what it is that we, as the women of CCSE, would need to hear. So I hope that you guys have enjoyed the study this week because we see the birth of church. <clears throat> and it's an exciting time that uh, all the disciples are going through. Um, we have witnessed in the last two weeks the ascension of Jesus into heaven. Um, we've been in the upper room with as many as 120 disciples gathered to pray and wait for the promise of the helper to come. We've seen Peter stand up as a leader and suggest bringing on a new apostle as it was scriptural that it would be 12. There's debate on whether it was right or wrong. I think you can argue both ways. <clears throat> we have to think, we've had to think through this idea that the casting of lots was a valid idea to determine God's will about something. We also got to be a fly on the wall, so to speak, when the Holy Spirit in power and might made his first appearance. We saw in the last two weeks the third person of the Trinity come upon his people in a room in a manner we have not seen in the Bible until now. And now the Holy Spirit of God is residing in the people of God, the people of the promise. And from this moment on in scripture, nothing will ever be the same. And we are the people of the promise. Let's pray. Jesus, I just ask that your spirit would be among us this morning. Lord, that our hearts have been prepared to hear from you, your will, your direction. Lord, that we would hear from you about your love, your grace and your mercy upon us. Give us eyes to see today, ears to hear how you're working in and among and through us all. Thank you, Lord, that you have promised to be with us always. And we just need to be able to see you. Let your word go out and, um, and empower and, 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 changing, and changing power in, in each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in the interest of time, we're going to go fast. There's a lot of verses this week, you guys, 34 verses. I think it was 34 if I did the math correctly. It might have been more. I don't know. Anyway, it was a lot of verses, so we're going to go quick. I'm going to try... To be brief. <laughs> so Acts 2. <laughs> I'd have my glasses on the chair and I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go. Um, okay, Acts 2, 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared on them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. Thank you. For these men are not drunk as you suppose. For it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days that God says that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my bond slaves, both men and women, will in those days pour forth of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. 
and I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. <clears throat> so last week, the Holy Spirit has come down on the disciples and they began to speak in languages that did not belong to them. And the crowd heard a big commotion and they realized that the uneducated Galileans were speaking of God and his mighty deeds in different languages that they didn't know. And the crowd is confused about what was happening. I mean, I would be confused. So naturally, some in the crowd suspected that they were drunk because drunk people are usually smarter than those who are sober. I mean, it was logical sense, right? <laughs> so it is, not, it is in this context that we see Peter step out into the role of the leader in the way that Jesus intended him to be. Jesus saw something in him. <clears throat> Now, Peter's demeanor is very different in this place than it had been just three months prior. Peter had been with Jesus for three years, and we got to know him through the Gospels. And we see that he was quick to speak and he was quick to act, sometimes impetuously, sometimes faithfully. He famously cut off the ear of a servant in the of the temple guard, but he was also the first out of the boat to walk on water with Jesus. Peter was the first to say that Jesus was the son of God, but he also <laughs> but he also rebuked Jesus when Jesus was telling him that he would be killed and raised up on the third day. And Jesus' response was, get behind me, Satan. You know, <laughs> you know, Peter, he is faithful and impetuous. Peter bravely declared that he would never desert Jesus, even on the face, in the face of death, only to find out that Jesus was right when Peter denied Jesus three times. But now, but God, <laughs> Peter is preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. God is refining him to become who he was always meant to be. So he refutes this accusation of drunkenness as it is early in the morning. It's the third hour. It's like 9 a.m.-ish. He's like, of course they're not drunk. Don't be silly, you guys. No, he didn't say that. But, um, but he reminds them of the prophet Joel, who proclaimed that the Lord would move in powerful ways in the last days. And Peter had reason to think that they were in the last days, the days before the day of the Lord. They did not know that the prophecies of Joel would not be in its complete fulfillment. I mean, it still hasn't happened yet. So for more than 2,000 years. The gospel would reach all the nations. And um, it hasn't yet at, at this time in, in our text. But, but we're seeing the fulfilling of that now that the gospel is um, going out to all the nations because it's going to fulfill the promise that God gave to Abraham that through Abraham's seed all mankind would be blessed as Joel would say before would say that the God's spirit would be poured out on all flesh but Peter does not know yet that the church age has just been born he is just saying you guys Remember, don't be surprised about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, Peter says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. 
Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourself know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. So Peter had quoted Joel to prove that God was moving, and the people needed to call in the name of the Lord to be saved. <clears throat> but now in his sermon, he's moving on to show that Jesus is the Lord spoken about, the only one whose name offers salvation. The signs and miracles God performed confirmed Jesus' claims of who he, that he was who he said he was. And the people, the people were aware of the power of God working through him, though they would deny that knowledge or explain it away or accuse Jesus of actually being um, representing the devil. <laughs> so, but it was not. But Peter's pointing out that it was not only the Romans who crucified Jesus. They may have done the deed, but the Jewish religious leaders led the way. But the common people also had a hand in the death of Jesus when they chose to free guilty Barabbas and kill innocent Jesus. There is no group of people with clean hands in this matter. And Peter is not holding back. He's charging them with the death of Jesus. He's not trying to save somebody's feelings. He's, he's saying, saying the truth unapologetically and boldly. But the reality is, and Peter says, that God allowed Jesus to be sacrificed by men. And not just men, but it was men who had no fear of God because he knew the beginning from the end. As some gruesome as gruesome and as horrific as the death of Jesus was, it was necessary to pay the debt we could not pay. I think we can never take that for, for granted. It's so easy when you're immersed in Christian culture. We know the things that we know. And it's easy to forget the great price that Jesus paid for us. And is necessary, it was so necessary. And by his innocence and by the power of God, God resurrected him from the dead. And the power of the gospel lies in the resurrection, but not in the crucifixion. It was, um, I'm quoting, I'm quoting Guzik, who's quoting Bruce, who's quoting Bertram. <laughs> but it was a good quote and I wanted to leave it. He said, it was not possible that the chosen one of God should remain in the grip of death. The abyss can no more hold the redeemer than a pregnant woman can hold the child in her body. Which, you know, sometimes when you're that far along and you say, this baby's got to come out, and you say, what did I do? And how can I be saved from this? <laughs> but Jesus could no longer, he could no more stay in the grave then you can keep a baby in you. He was meant to be raised as always the intention of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 
16 and through 19, Paul says that for if the dead were not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sin. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men to be most pitied. Without the resurrection, (laughs) we have nothing. Peter continues in our text in Acts by quoting Psalm 16, where David prophesies that God's Holy One has to be resurrected as his body will not see decay. So, here we go again. I'm trying not to get out of breath, but I'm trying to go quickly. Um, For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exulted. Moreover, my flesh will also live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, may I confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet... And he knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus, God's raised up, God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses, <clears throat> therefore has been exalted to the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. Peter points out that David is not speaking of himself as he died David died and remained in his tomb. So he's just saying David was a prophet. Uh, David was aware of the promise of the anointed one of God was to be his descendant. Peter reminds them that it was Jesus who was raised up by God, not David. So therefore, this text isn't speaking about David, speaking about the coming Messiah. And that Jesus, and it is proven that Jesus is the Holy One of God. Now the crowd of people were, were aware of the resurrection of Jesus. <clears throat> um, he, you know, Jesus hung out with them for forty days, and o- over five hundred people had seen him. They'd seen him in his resurrected body. <laughs> he ate with people. He walked with them. He touched them. Now, three times in these few verses, Peter mentions that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he was given equal authority and honor to God. So, Peter's saying, Jesus is not only the holy and anointed one, he has been given the highest position, he's equal in authority and honor to God himself. And because God had kept his promise of the Holy Spirit... And because Jesus holds all authority, he has poured out his spirit on those who are called by the name of Jesus. And Peter's very clear. 
in this, in this portion, that the events of the day that the people are accused <laughs> of, of being drunk, these very events come actually from the hand of God. They come from Jesus. And it proves to them that they were wrong about Jesus and they were guilty of condemning an innocent man. As Peter said, this Jesus whom you crucified. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. That's, like, that's a lot of people, you guys. <laughs> that day. The truth that Peter spoke resonated more loudly than any offense that the crowd might have had, which is like, that's a beautiful thing. I, the response of the crowd, I think, is <laughs> amazing. They were pierced to the heart. One version says they were quicked <clears throat> in their heart. And I thought, like, what is that? And I looked it up, like, what would that mean? When I think of quicking, like, this is the quick of your fingernail. And when you quick yourself, like, it bleeds, and it hurts for days and days. <laughs> and you're like, I can't wait for my nail to grow out. You know, or if you quick your dog when you cut their nails, they bleed and they cry. Like, they were pierced. They were quicked, quickened in their heart. There was pain involved in their response. And then we see that the spirit is moving amongst the people, even if it isn't such a dramatic way as it happened in the upper room. The spirit is moving. The quickening of the heart, the piercing of the heart happened because the Holy Spirit was moving. Maybe it's not so dramatic as the fire and the wind. But the spirit is evident even here. And they ask the question, what shall we do? He says, you repent. Now, repentance isn't some sorry, some feeling of being sorry that you got caught doing something wrong. It's not an, an adjective describing an emotion. Repentance is a verb. There's something to do <laughs> with repentance. What shall I do? So, side note, in the back of your packet, there's a thing that says, what shall I do? What shall I believe? <clears throat> that, um, that came from Kevin. I don't know where he got it from, but um, it just gives lots of version, uh, verses of, of the gospel. It is the gospel. And it's not the Romans road, but it starts from the beginning. It starts with Eve, Adam and Eve. Anyway, repentance. We need to be, have repentant hearts, and the crowd needed to repent. It's very clear. I think that's all he said. Repent and be baptized. When my children were at least really small and they were running in a direction I didn't want them to go, um, I just would reach out my hand and I put it on the top of their head and I just turn their head <laughs> and point them with how I wanted them to go. So because where the head goes, there goes the body. That 
is to me a picture of repentance. And Jesus would put, the Holy Spirit would put his hand on our head and say, nope, let's go this way, guys. You're going in the opposite direction. <clears throat> we are all going our own way. That's like, that is the nature of humanity. We go our own way until God reaches out and turns our head his way. David Guzik also says, repentance must never be thought of as something we must do before we can come back to God. Repentance describes what coming back to God is. You can't turn towards God without turning away from the things he is against. In this sense, repent is a word of great hope. It is definitely not a condemnation. It says you don't have to continue the way you've been going. You can turn to God. <clears throat> Spurgeon also spoke on repentance, and he said the old-fashioned grace of repentance is not to be dispensed with. There must be sorrow for sin, like quickening in the heart. There must be a broken and contrite heart. This God will not despise, but a conversion which does not proclaim this result, God will not accept as genuine. That is heavy words. If there's no repentance, can there be salvation? I'm going to say no. It will not be a genuine without repentance. Peter preached for a little while longer, encouraging them to leave worldly thought and empty religion. So, like, this, this sermon that he spoke wasn't all. He spoke with many more words, it said, and I just really appreciated that because I feel like pastors speak a lot. <laughs> they have a lot of words to say, and Peter is just the beginning of the pastoral words. <laughs> and 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. The world is about to be turned upside down. Everything is going to change. Everything. Verse 42 says, They were continually de devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many um, wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all of those who had believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them uh, with all as anyone might have need. <clears throat> day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. The church is born. It's newly formed. It's learning to walk, walk this journey together. It is the direct opposite of living in a perverse generation. And they're breaking the bond with the world by being together. They are, um, are in the process of turning away from corruption to what is right and rejecting this deception and turning toward truth. Every generation that rejects Jesus can be described as perverse. I think we live in a perverse generation. <laughs> perverse is just the idea of rejecting what is right to go toward what is wrong. They oppose rightness and embrace wickedness. And that was our condition before we came to Jesus. And repentance is the only answer to leave behind that corruption of the mind 
And this is what all believers are called to do. Sometimes we need to have repentance in our own lives, even as believers, because sometimes, I was talking to my 11-year-old, and just saying, you know what, the fact of the matter is sometimes a sin is fun. Sin is fun until it's trapped you, and then it ceases to be fun because you can't get out. We need to be people who live in repentance all the time because, as it was said, that there is hope. There's hope in repentance. <clears throat> Romans 12 says, verses 1 to 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The new believers were spending time together. They were feeding their bodies, their souls, and their spirits by being together while they were together. And everyone is experiencing this new life all at one time. Made me think of a baby that's like learning to walk, <laughs> learning to talk. Everything was new. Everything was different. Everything was changed. And there was no aspect of their lives that were not touched by the receiving of the truth. The, uh, the receiving of the truth of Jesus. And as a result, at the time, they were like-minded. They had everything in common with each other because they had little in common with the world anymore. And so to them, it only made sense to share their possessions and wealth so no one would have a need that could not have been taken care of easily through the generosity of other people. They were living in good fellowship with each other. And there was great need in the church at the time as people were being rejected by family and friends, probably losing jobs, losing business. <laughs> but this is in no way a mandate or a requirement to live in a communal society. <laughs> I've heard it said, actually, just very recently, I'm hearing it more and more, like, well, in the Bible, God, you know, Jesus, you know, likes communism. <laughs> so... And this, these are the passages that they would, that they would um, refer to with that thought. But this is not a mandate. This is not a requirement. We are to live in generosity with one another. We are to be generous with our time and our possessions. <clears throat> but it was for this time, it was for this time. And it was not without its problems as well. We're going to see in a few weeks with Ananias and Sapphira, we're going to see um, <clears throat> that there was a need for deacons because sin gets in the way. We all have our own desires and our own agendas. We are, because of sin, we cannot live in this manner for long, I don't think. Only through this Holy Spirit. Excuse me. But anyway, they were like-minded. The people, as they gathered together, they were like-minded. And they followed the apostles' example of remaining steadfast in prayer and devoted to the apostles' teaching and to being in one accord. If you were at the uh, meeting last night, this is Ryan's heart for us as a body, that we, that we would be people who come together in prayer, 
that we um, devote ourselves to the Lord, to each other, that we would be a church similar to this one. <clears throat> and then Jackie told me a really bad joke. And she said to me, Jackie, Senna, in your honor, as I'm assuming you're going to listen to this later, she said, do you know what kind of car the apostles drove? One accord. So, and then it was just bad, and I just looked at her. <laughs> and she said, I know, it's a groaner, but I wanted to tell it, and I didn't, so I'm telling it for her. <laughs> The results of them sharing everything, including their car, um, was that they found favor among the people, of the people of Jerusalem, the people in the area. They were happy. They were joyful. They were walking in the spirit, and they drew people to them, and more and more people were added to the church every day, and this is a testimony worth emulating. We should be walking in this example we need to be examining our lives. And are we living in such a way that we find favor with those who are not of our number, of those who are not called by the name? What do they see when they look at us? What is your testimony? What is it people think about you? But not just people, people outside of us. We live in a day Joel's prophecy has not yet been fulfilled, not even in our day. The great day of the Lord has not yet come. With the fire in the sky and the sun turned to blood, and the, that has not happened. But the day seems short. Do you feel it in the air? I feel it every day. I'm looking for Jesus every day. Jesus, are you calling? I'm listening for the trumpet. But when that day comes and we are all gone, what is going to be left behind? Our goal should be to take as many with us as we can. What is your testimony? What do people see outside of us? Do they find favor? Or do you find favor with them? Are you a sweet balm, a sweet fragrance drawing people to the Lord? What is your testimony? It's time, I think, for us to examine that in our lives. And ask the Holy Spirit to move powerfully that we could add to our number every day. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's never changing. Lord, it's always, it's always the same. Your heart is, for the, is to be after the hearts of your people. Lord, and you're looking to add more people. Lord, we just ask that you would move powerfully among us, that your spirit, though maybe we won't see it in wind and fire, but Lord, there's also just the gentle breeze that you blow through us. And Lord, let us be women who live by your spirit, who walk by your spirit. God, let us find favor with those who don't know you. That, that we would, I know, I think that we're, very curious, we're very odd people, but Lord, let us live in joy and expectation of you that others would want to join in, in our number, that, that they would want to follow you, that they would see you and want to be 
called by your name. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your graciousness to us. Thank you, God, that you are a keeper of all promises. Lord, help us to be your faithful women. In Jesus' name, amen.